Hi, I'm the Strategist Cowboy. Today, just like last week, I am going to review an ale, or more exactly, a pale ale from Maine in the very northeast of the USA. But it comes from a different brewery. And I am, just like last week, going to put it against a blonde ale from Belgium. But that too comes from a different brewery. Is it a fair fight? I don't know, but why not? I think that Slapmutske is going to win. But remember Miracle on Ice in the Olympics in 1980. The two beers are in review order. Original Pale Ale. V.S. Slapmutske. Our first contestant this week is the beer assortment Original Pale Ale from the Geary Brewing Company in Portland, Maine on the East Coast, USA. This beer assortment is their oldest beer assortment and it has been around already since 1986. That is before the rapid proliferation of microbreweries in the 1990s in the US. But it isn't even close to the oldest craft beer breweries in time. Craft beer breweries have been around since the 1960s, but it was in the 70s people started to experiment with beer brewing at home in the US. By the 1980s, a momentum for establishment of microbreweries was built up. With all this time gone by and water under the bridge, can you really say that Geary's is a craft beer brewery any longer? Was it ever a craft beer brewery? I don't have the answer to these two questions. C'est la vie, that is French for that is life. I just thought you foreign language star Americans should know. I should talk. I only know Swedish and English and a little bit of German. The original pale ale beer assortment contains water, barley malt, wheat malt, hops, and most likely yeast. It is made British style, according to the brewery. The hops are of the American sorts Cascade, Mount Hood, and Golding. The malt, the malt is English Turo. It has got a normal IBU of 38 for a pale ale. The expiration date on this beer, particular beer, is end of April 2023. I purchased this beer in mid-July. 2022. The beer has been standing in my cooler since I purchased it. The bottle contains 35.5 centiliters, 
i.e. 12 liquid ounces. The label is two-folded with a lobster on the main label. Observe, pun intended, main, main label. This beer cost me 26 Swedish kronor, i.e. 2 US dollars and 30 cents. That is about 77 cents per 4 ounces of beer. This beer has got a low level ABV for an ale. The preferred serving temperature for Geary's original pale ale is according to system below it, 10 to 12 degrees Celsius, i.e. about 50 to 54 degrees Fahrenheit. The brewery says nothing about preferred serving temperatures. The original pale ale beer assortment has got a mere 5.2% ABV, 5.2% ABV. How about the experience then? Oops. The label fell off. It's the, one of those older paper labels, typical paper beer labels. But uh, who cares? Uh, I've got the beer, it's not spilled. So let's open it up. That label too went loosened. Oh, it's a good, it's got a good aroma, but a uh, little bit Pilsner-like aroma. In or at least lager beer aroma. This is uh, orangey-brown in color. Uh, let's see here if I light up the lamp. Orange-brownie, yellow-brownie color. It's a little bit cloudy, but not so, so damn much. It's got a small head. Half a finger tall or something. It's not so cloudy as I said. Didn't didn't I say that? Anyway, uh, I I think that uh, my first impression is uh, well, pretty ordinary beer. Is my first impression, but it might might change. It often does. It's fairly rich, not very rich, but it's five point two percent. So, what can you expect? But there are beers with low ABVs that uh, has got a really rich taste. I don't think it's bread-like. Uh, perhaps uh, 
it's because it's not sweet. It may be a little yeasty. And it's malty. The taste of my palate is malt. It's not sweet. But I wouldn't call it dry. Neither. Uh, it's a little bit uh, bitter, hoppy, more bitter than hoppy. It's not candy like. I wouldn't say it's that it's fruity. Spices, yes, I think there is some sort of spice or maybe the hop in it that makes it spicy. As I, I think I read somewhere. Anyway, the undertone is it's it's not that light. It's not very light in uh, I mean um, it's not very pale I mean uh, I think it's uh, it's got a hint a touch of uh, other taste than pales pale ales It's not a dark beer, it's not, but uh, it's got an undertone that's a little bit dark in its undertone. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't know about the carbonation level, we'll see in a minute or two. It's not creamy, it's not acidic. It's got a little bit of pine needle taste in it. And that's an aberration according to me, but it's not really a pine needle, but well, maybe it is. Excuse me, it's got carbonation level, fairly high. But then, yeah, pine, pine needle, the darkness in the beer, uh, the little darkness, darkness there is, is uh, mitigating the pine needle. Uh, but it's not dark roasted. But it's got a touch of dark beer. I think this beer is filtered to a certain degree, but not fully filtered. 
maybe it has got some bread taste, wort bread taste. Perhaps you can say that. But I, I don't think because it's not sweet enough. I don't think it tastes uh, like syrup. Or honey, like I read it was gonna taste. That is got a flavor of honey in it. But I don't think so, but not syrup either. And that's good, at least uh, that, that there's no, no syrup. Honey there could be, but uh, it's, it's pretty, I would say that it would be round if it ha if it hadn't had that pine needle taste in it. Uh, let's see. Mm. No, I don't think I want to mix any more tastes in this or flavors in this beer. I don't think it would do it justice either. What about grading then? Well, it's not a bad beer, it's not. But not so much to my taste, my taste buds, likings. Uh, I grade this beer six or seven devils out of ten possible. I want to grade it six, but I'm too soft. I actually am a very soft person. So I grade this beer. Well, it's between six and seven, six and a half. Uh, yes, it could have gotten more if it hadn't had, had that pine needle taste, which I think is an aberration in beers. But some say it's supposed to be there. I don't think so. It's something that happens in the process when you brew the beer. And then you call it, oh, look at this fresh taste. It's pine needle. <laughs> so, um, six and a half devils. Yes, it's worth six and a half devils out of 10 possible. I usually don't uh, go for the half ratings, but okay, this time I will because I'm too soft to give it a six. I'm not ready to give it a seven. So, Let's move on to our next uh, contestant. Our second contestant for this week is the so-called Slapmutske Blonde beer assortment from Browery Slapmutske in the town of Melle, right smack in the middle of Flandern in Belgium, 40 kilometers or 24 US miles northwest of Bruges. Blonde means that it is a pale ale, 
Slapmutske means nightcap in Flemish or Dutch. The ingredients in the Slapmutske blonde beer assortment are water, barley malt, wheat malt, hops, and cheese. It says on the bottle. I can't find much technical info on this beer on the brewery's website. Only that it has got Cascade Hop in it. Cascade Hop is from the US. This beer has got an IBU of 30, which is at the lower end of the scale for a pale ale. The expiration date on this particular beer is well into March 2023. I purchased it in mid-June 2022. It has been standing in my cooler since then. At the present date, it is mid-October 2022. The Slapmutske Blonde Ale Beer Assortment comes in a size 33 centiliters i.e. about 11 liquid ounces bottle of a type often tapped into for quality beers in Belgium. Just like last week's Belgian beer. The bottle's shape, again, the bottle's shape reminds me of the Michelin guy. The two-folded bottle label's front label has got a crescent yellow moon-figured face with a nightcap on him. The labels are for the rest blue. The Slapmutske Blonde Beer Assortment cost me 29 Swedish kronor, i.e. 2 US dollars and 56 cents in June 2022. That is 93 cents per 4 ounces of beer. That is not cheap, but if the beer is as good as I think it will be, I will gladly pay 29 Swedish kronor for it in the future at occasions. I just have a hunch but it will taste good, and I'm usually right. Systembolaget says that the preferred serving temperature on this beer is 10 to 12 degrees Celsius, i.e. about 50 to 54 degrees Fahrenheit. The brewery says nothing about preferred serving temperatures. The Slapmutske Blonde Beer Assortment has got a good 6.4% ABV, 6.4%. How about the experience then? One moment. Okay. Is it wheat beer or oatmeal? Let's see. The aroma. Uh, uh, let's see here. Wheat malt, barley malt, hops and yeast. So it's wheat malt. There's the aroma is wheat malt. Yes. 
wow, this has got a six fingers tall head. At least six fingers tall. I haven't poured the whole beer. I can't. This the glass is just uh, barely half full. Okay. Yes, it's wheat malty. It's even, I think, either it's the wheat malt or they have tampered with the yeast strings on this Belgian beer too, just like last week, last week's beer. It's uh, it's the wheat in it, I think. But it tastes like if they have tampered with the yeast strings. But it's it may be the wheat. It's a lot of wheat millions, wheat wheat malt in it. Well, let's see, it's uh, yellowish, cloudy, and it's got a tall head, as I said, and the aroma is wheat malt. My first impression is, uh, ah, okay, it's a good beer. It's got character, which uh, many Belgian beers do have. It's rich. It's wheat bread-like. And then a little bit, uh, or a lot, a lot yeasty, perhaps. Definitely malty. Taste on my palate. Uh, it tastes, uh, it's cool. Uh, cold, cool. On my palate. Fresh, yes but a little bit uh, with the yeast strings or uh, or uh, the, the wheat malt the wheat malt i guess it is i because it's 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 similar to many german one moment excuse me to many german lager beers in that uh, it tastes almost like it was like if they had tempered with the yeast strings because in german beers very often at least half of their beers they have tempered with the yeast strings because they have the reinetsky board in germany and that means that they cannot use ingredients 
natural ingredients even that uh, is standard in beers like malt hops uh, water uh, uh, malt hops uh, and, and yeast and that's uh, about all that may be in German Rheinhessgebot beers, I think. But I don't think, I'm not sure. Let's, let's say that they haven't uh, tampered with the yeast strings. But it sure reminds me of uh, German beers in that regard. Uh, so it's a little bit bread like them. A lot bread like and yeasty. And malty. The taste of my palate is definitely malt. And uh, tempered yeast strings. <laughs> Sweet or dry? Uh, let's see. I'd say that this beer is not very dry. But not very sweet either. It's uh, smooth in, in, in some sense. It's a little bit hoppy. Not very bitter, but I, I didn't suppose it. it's got a 30 IBU bitterness. So, of course, not very bitter for a pale ale. It's not candy like. But uh, lemon peel taste, it's got. And also orange peel taste. And um, spices. Uh, uh, it's very common in Belgian pale ales that they have spices in their beers. In their beers. So it, it's probably some spices in it, but not much. And the carbonation level is, uh, I think, uh, pretty high. Normal to high. I don't know. I burped earlier on. And it's not creamy. But it's well balanced. It's not acidic, and there are no aberrations apart from this little yeast string thing which I'm not sure if they did tamper with the beer. I think it's the wheat beer, the wheat malt. But I'm not sure, as I said. It's not uh, dark, of course, it's a pale ale. Is it filtered or unfiltered? Unfiltered, definitely. Yeah. Uh, 
Let's see. A little, it's got hints of apricot in it, uh, or more than hints. Apricot is uh, a taste in this beer, definitely. Maybe a little bit of banana taste, but it's more the apricot taste. Uh, banana taste, nah, no, no, not really, but usually when they tamper with the yeast strings, it has got a banana taste. That's what they want to uh, to, to uh, achieve by tampering with the yeast strings. But yeah, perhaps a little bit banana, but more more apricot. Uh, a little bit of honey, like honey, like it's got some honey like taste in it. It's nice to to review this beer because uh, it's got a lot of tastes that, that is that are discernible from each other. I can discern the taste from each other pretty well. So it's uh, it's not that complex, but it's still got ma many good flavors. Yeah, that's about it. What about grading them? I I like this beer better and better the more I drink it. The Belgians know their beers, but so do, do the Americans. Uh, not uh, Budweiser or Bud, Bud or whatever it's called, and uh, Millers and all those shit beers. But uh, they have good beers in America for sure, really good beers. But this one is also good. I would rate this beer. Because it's got a little bit of tempered G-strings taste, I grade this beer, this beer, and that that I don't really like. But it, uh, let's say, eight devils out of ten possible. Yeah, nine perhaps nine devils. Yeah, I think I have to grade this beer nine devils out of ten possible, and that's not a bad grading for sure. Not even for me. I mean, uh, it's a high grading even for me. Okay, absolutely don't drink and operate heavy machines, military or civilian. Drink responsibly or not at all. Don't drink at all if you're underaged or pregnant. This week's lesson.
It's again a very geeky lesson. They don't necessarily tell you how to organize your troops on the battlefield. But the, you need to be aware of these things. Uh, and I, I'm not speaking to the ignorant people. So I call this lesson Signals Intelligence. Your radar doesn't just tell its operator what the outside picture is. It also reveals for the opponent, e.g. where your radar is located. The same fixation can, can by the enemy be used in connection with radio communication. The radio transmitter not only conveys a message to you, the friendly receiver, it also communicates a great deal to the unwanted listener, the enemy's signals intelligence unit. Signals intelligence can be conducted against virtually all electromagnetic radiation. If it concerns optical systems, the signal detection falls, e.g. in the form of laser warning, into the area optronics. Even signals that are considered whispering or hidden can be found using the right methods. Signals intelligence as a surveillance sensor has some appealing properties, like a non-disclosing good surface coverage with localization and identification ability and a one-way propagation. A signal surveillance sensor itself does not emit any revealing radiation. But like other sensor systems, signals intelligence units need to communicate. <coughs> Excuse me. If this communication is done by radio, the communication part of the signals intelligence system can of course be exploited by the enemy's signals intelligence. The signal antennas often constitutes a radar target area. This can be a problem for a platform which needs to have a low radar target area. By using multiple signals intelligence platforms, mobile platforms, or by measuring the direction in two dimensions, the position of the signal source can be determined. The easiest and most obvious way to determine a position is by bearing the direction to the emitter from two different locations and see where the lines representing the directions intersect. The method is called triangulation. It is also possible to use a single but moving platform to determine the position of an emitter. This procedure is called eigentriangulation. I guess after the German word. A prerequisite for this is that, that the signal source is stationary or only moves slowly 
and then it transmits for a sufficiently long time or is recurring in its transmission. By measuring both the azimuth and elevation angle from a flying platform, it is possible with knowledge of the flight alt altitude to determine where the emitter is. This method has some weaknesses as the ground surface is not flat. In addition to the mentioned methods, there are a couple of precision methods if you want to ascertain the position better. TDOA, time difference of arrival, and DDOA, Doppler difference of arrival, where the latter requires movement, preferably with a high speed, and therefore it works best with airborne radar warnings and airborne signals intelligence systems and SAR satellites. I can't go deeper into this, I really can't, but the names give clues as to how they work. Then there is another method, LBI, Long Base Interferometry. Interferometry, okay. It is often possible to determine the type of transmitter with the help of signal detection and thus also get an identification of the current platform. Often even singular individual platforms can be identified by the transmitting device. Device. This especially applies to older radar transmitters of the magnetron type. Group antennas are often used to monitor a large area. The signals detection equipment receives more unwanted signals because it cannot select within the surrounding space in the same way as a radar can. Another problem for signals intelligence equipment is that the enemy radar can encode its signal with a random phase code so that to an outsider the signal appears like noise. It is done with a DRFM, digital RF memory, in the radar system, which is used to remember exactly what the transmitted pulse looked like. When the echo returns, the radar system can use the contents of the DRFM to perform pulse compression and thus amplify the received echoes and improve the distance resolution. Such a radar is called silent radar. Frequency hopping technology is a method used to make jamming and signal surveillance more difficult. The signal, which is usually in instantaneous narrowband, shifts its center frequency hundreds, in some cases thousands of times per second, according to a predetermined pattern known to the receiver. This procedure, as well as the encryption that is usually set for the transmitted signals, 
reduces the signal tracker's possibility to access the signal content. However, it is not an effective way to avoid location determination. Even agile frequency hoppers have a limited number of channels where the transmission returns at seemingly random intervals. Another method is direct sequence propagation. One of the advantages of direct sequence propagation is that the transmitted signal's power is distributed over such a large bandwidth that the power density in the signal becomes low compared to the surrounding noise. A signal tracker receiving the signal cannot expect to see any indication of the signal simply by looking at the frequency spectrum of the received signal. In order for a signal to be spoofed, it must first be detected by the spoofer or by tactical signals reconnaissance. If it isn't possible to detect signaling on a certain frequency or to detect the presence of communication of a designated location, there is no reason to attempt spoofing or jamming. That is one of the basic axioms of stealth radio concepts. However, when signaling is detected or assumed to be in progress, the jammer must generate a jamming signal sufficient to knock out the information on the receiver. In other words, the target must be within range of the jammer. The range of a jammer is not an absolute concept. It is always a question of a strength ratio between the traffic signal and the jamming transmitter. This is usually defined as the ratio between the jamming distance and the traffic distance when the connection is just about to be jammed. A jammer thus only reduces the communication distance of the radio stations. But the ambition is to reduce it so much that the radio communication becomes tactically unusable. However, it is not enough to produce enough and good enough jamming in the target. The jamming must also be presented on the right frequency and at the right moment in time. This can summarize the entire telewar problem. Only the reception is blocked, so it may, it may still be possible to transmit from a surface covered with jamming signals. Note, each jamming session is a training of the opponent in protection, protecting himself against jamming or spoofing. Jamming or spoofing should therefore be deployed restrictively and only when it can, can have an expected operational and tactical effect. On many platforms, primarily in the Air Force and Navy, radar detectors are used to detect if the platform is illuminated by an enemy radar or radar homing device. Here, 
previously collected information about transmitting radars is often the basis for identification of the foreign illuminator. If the illuminating enemy radar is identified, shifts in the signal in terms of strength and modulation can tell if your platform has been detected, detected or not. Another area of use is locating foreign radar equipment from the air, e.g. radars on mobile anti-aircraft units. This information can be used as a basis for countermeasures in the form of so-called SEED, suppression of enemy air defenses. In conjunction with SEED, additional high precision localization methods are desirable to determine precisely where the target is, since signal independent weapons can then be used. A signal-seeking missile is generally not particularly effective if the intended target has stopped transmitting. Signals intelligence can be divided into two groups. One, communications intelligence, i.e. comment, which concerns communication between people, equipment, or systems where some form of information or message is transmitted. Communications intelligence can in turn be divided into acquisition, processing, e.g. traffic processing including crypto cracking and content processing, processing, analysis and reporting. Two, Electronic intelligence, i.e. ELINT, concerns signals from equipment and machines, mainly from radar, navigation, and weapon-related systems, where these essentially do not contain any information or message intended to be synchronized by a counter station. Tactical signals intelligence refers to the collection of information with short intelligence value, e.g. preparation for attack according to EOB, Electronic Order of Battle. Tactical signals intelligence is used for direct use on the battlefield, such as artillery control, jamming, regrouping of threatened units, of threatened units, etc. Common tasks for a tactical signals intelligence system are A. Positioning of a radio transmitter B. Type determination of a radio transmitter C. Tying of radio transmitters to platform or platform type D. Analysis of the enemy's communication structure. And E. Analysis of the information content of the broadcast. Strategic signals intelligence refers to the acquisition of information with longer intelligence value, e.g. preparedness and crisis management capabilities 
of other countries. Strategic signals intelligence can be used to build up an awareness of a situation where a detected devi deviation from the normal picture can be used to draw conclusions of importance for the kingdom. In Sweden, strategic signals intelligence is carried out by Forsvarsradianstalt, FRA. Strategic signals intelligence is called SIGINT with English terminology. And the source for this one is Foy Orienterar Om Censurer, number three, 2004. Thank you and see you later, alligator at a wild crocodile. Mm -hmm.